Right now, though, we are taking a look at the B.C. labour market. It was released and shows that about 80% of the 1 million job openings expected in the next 10 years will require some type of post-secondary training or education. And the job openings will see about 63% to replace workers who are leaving the labour force, talking about people who are retiring and other job expansions through economic growth. That number is a bit lower at about 37%. What types of jobs? Well, we're talking healthcare, social assistance, professional, retail trade, construction, educational services. So what does that look like as far as having the capacity in post-secondary organizations? Jennifer Figner joins us now, the interim vice president at BCIT in the academic section. Jennifer, thank you so much for being with us. It's my pleasure, Jill. Thanks for having me this afternoon. Well, that was one of the big questions that I was hearing when we talked about this or saw these numbers yesterday, that there are going to be so many jobs that will require some type of post-secondary training. Do we have the capacity to meet that demand? Yeah, it's such a, an interesting and challenging time for for British Columbia, for the workforce, but obviously for those of us in post-secondary in terms of how we address the challenges that are ahead. So, uh, you know, in quick answer to your question, do we have the capacity? Absolutely. But does it mean that we need to look at post-secondary in, in a fairly different way than we traditionally have for a lot of years? Yeah, it means that as well. And what do you mean by that, looking at it in kind of a different way? Well, you know, if you look at it, and in reviewing the, the Outlook report that came out yesterday, you know, it indicates that it's anticipated about half of, of that market need that you referred to is likely to be met by those entering the labor force for the first time. Um, and those those people may be able to uh, look to post-secondary for what we would say traditionally. You know, you come in right after you K to 12, you pursue a diploma or a degree or a, a skilled trade certification, um, and then you go into the workforce and maybe never look back at post-secondary. But, but the other half of this market need is going to be met by uh, people who are returning to the workforce, potentially new Canadians, people who are transitioning either into new careers or because the industry that they're in has changed significantly over the, the recent period of time. And, you know, even with those new learners, but certainly more so with the other ones, the, their need for flexibility and for just-in-time skilling and training is going to be paramount. And that's very different than the traditional go in for four years and never come back approach. Right. Okay. And and what about the the number of seats though, and the and the fact that if we do have more people that are seeing this opportunity, seeing that there are going to be all of these new jobs and they do require this training, if it's a, a year program, if it's an apprenticeship or something like that, what about making sure there is space? Well, and I think that that's a really good question, but really the way we're looking at it is it's not uh, making space in those seats in the one-year program or so forth, which we've, we've got uh, really exciting opportunities in what we're calling flexible learning, which, which touches on what I was just speaking to. Um, but in addition to full-time programs that might be one year or so forth, offering, uh, whether it's an individual course or the ability to pursue full programs in a part-time flexible manner, which is over and above full-time programming for us. And what's, what's really growing um, is, is what we're terming in the post-secondary arena as micro-credentials, um, which is really looking at, maybe it's not even a full course in the traditional sense of the word, but what are the specific skills or competencies that 
uh, people might need to to change in their in their job or to meet labor force demands. And how can we offer those? It often, you know, it's in a weekend format. It's in a couple of workshops, way more online learning. We learned so much through the pandemic, whether we wanted to or not, about how to deliver, you know, education and applied education in that manner. And so that really opens up the capacity. So do you think that's something then that will stay as far as maybe not all online, but certainly having that hybrid model or the option for people that for whatever reason that just works better for them? Absolutely, it will. And, uh, you know, we were pressed to learn how to teach things that we thought never could be taught online, particularly, you know, at BCIT, where so much of what we do is considered to be hands-on and applied, and figured out how to to do a lot of it. Maybe not 100%, but a lot more models where people will be able to do a large chunk of their learning in an online format, and then maybe come in onto a campus to do the hands-on training piece. It's really just opening up the flexibility and how we approach what might, might have been a traditional way of learning. And does that change to what we're, what we kind of think of when you think of post-secondary? Because for, and I, I suppose it depends where you are in your life and whether or not you're, you're returning as a so-called mature student or you're coming in there. But it is, for a lot of people, it's more than just, not well, not just, but it's, it's more than the learning and the learning skills and preparing for a, a job. It's also the, you're going to meet potentially lifelong friends and you're going to have that camaraderie and you're going to have that experience of growing with people and being there, which you're not going to get if you're doing it online? You know, I'm going to say yes and no to that. And I think, uh, again, maybe because we were forced to, I think there are ways that we can, that you can build camaraderie and and cohorts and, and meeting people in online formats. But that's also where I think the best of both worlds is what we would term a hybrid or a flexible way of, of learning, which includes a little bit of both. But, you know, also you touched on on the fact that it, particularly a number of these people who might be approaching post-secondary are doing so at a different stage of life. Um, and ideally, I think probably throughout their careers to, to keep coming back for learning and training. And for those learners, perhaps the social aspect of it isn't as important as gaining uh, the skills and the training that are required for what's their next stage in their career in the most flexible or efficient way that works for them. And what works for one person could be very different than what works for another. Right. And and do you see, too, perhaps a change or more of a shift to if it is somebody who's coming back for more training or wanting to expand and maybe go into a slightly different area or maybe a completely different, are we seeing more employee or sorry, employer involvement in that mm-hmm. post-secondary can be very expensive. That can be limiting for a lot of people. But are we going to see or do you think we'll see more employers investing in their workers to, to help them get those those expanded skills? Absolutely. You know, again, we have to look at this from both sides of addressing uh, the, the labor outlook. One is from the individuals who are looking for the jobs, but the other is obviously from, from the employers who uh, are currently looking to hire them or are currently looking to retain their workforce. And we hear all the time, uh, again, you know, BCIT, our, our mandate has always been to partner with industry in readying a workforce. And so we've always worked closely with industry, but now even more so to be able to uh, address what employers tell us is needed, either because something's changed in their specific industry, a a new technology or something along those lines, or because they want to offer opportunities for their existing workforce to upskill and perhaps uh, advance within the company. There's uh, a lot of demand from employers to do that. And, And where we can do that successfully, that is 
the absolute best experience for learners because it is, in fact, extremely relevant to what's happening in that industry or in that organization right at that particular time. And how much do you think it's also going to depend on uh, foreign students and immigration and people coming? And again, pr- maybe with some skills, maybe upgrading skills mm-hmm. as well and, and getting people so we do have people that can fill these jobs. I, well, that's going to be critical. And that, that is reflected somewhat in the, in the report as well that, that came out yesterday. Um, that's going to be key to meeting. I think they're looking at about 40% of this need is likely to be from new Canadians or, or international students as well. And, you know, there's an interesting opportunity there. Uh, and I, you know, this is a larger than, than one post-secondary or even British Columbia can address. There's nationally, we need to look at that foreign credentialing of, of people who have skill sets in other countries. But one of the things that when we talk about flexibility in, in the way we deliver learning is also to provide what we call prior learning assessment and recognition, uh, which is to take what people are already able to do, might be from a a post-secondary either here or um, elsewhere, or it might be in a very non-traditional way of learning, but translate it into academic credit to be able to to allow people to complete credentials much more quickly and then get right back into the workforce. And do you see that becoming more of a focus or at least trying to maybe open the doors more or make it a bit easier for people to do that? Yeah, I, we, I mean, we have to do that. It's the right thing to do anyway, but the, the fact that we're able to, um, we have, you know, far better ways to measure what skills and competencies people come in with and then uh, and translate that into, okay, what, what little bit more or potentially slightly larger bit more do they need in order to skill for the career that they're looking for and provide them, you know, only what's needed and in a timely and flexible fashion so that they can get back to working or get to working here in Canada in the case of a foreign worker um, as quickly as possible. And when we look at the breakdown as well, and this is kind of breaking down what kind of education it's anticipated is going to be needed for the job openings that we're going to see in the future. It's, I think, 37% at a bachelor's graduate or first professional degree, 29% a diploma or a certificate that excludes an apprenticeship. 19% high school and or occupation specific training. Do those numbers seem to make sense as far as where we're going to see the most need or the most where we're going to see that educational need? They make sense. And and particularly if you if you take everything other than the the bachelor's or first professional degree, which is obviously a big chunk at at 37 percent, as you mentioned, And, and that's likely to be where people are doing their first educational credential. But if you take the rest of it, which ends up being a fairly large chunk, that's the part that happens ongoing through people's careers. And I think, although they've always existed, they're forming a much larger portion of what's considered to be post-secondary education than what they have in the past. Certainly not to take away from the value of a degree. Um, There's a very real need for that, but that tends to be the entry level. And then what becomes throughout people's career is the rest of those numbers. Right. And looking at the, at the other, the specific types of jobs, very high up on the list, the healthcare and social assistance, mm-hmm. 15%, and then also 15% of the total professional, scientific and technical, which seems pretty broad. But that's, that's a lot when you think that that's 30% of all of these new jobs. It, it is. And as you say, they're broad categories. And, and even within those, there's obviously some specific areas where the need is higher than others. I think when people think about healthcare, they often immediately think about doctors and nurses, and and obviously those are 
a large proportion of, of the healthcare needs. But there are so many other pieces to healthcare that that includes not only other health healthcare services like you know uh, uh, sonography, um, radiology, all of those sorts of things, and then specialized um, care within the system, specialty nursing, and those, uh, but also other jobs in healthcare that are not specifically healthcare related. I think people sometimes lose track of the fact that healthcare jobs might mean some of the administrative support in the healthcare industry. Right. Well, and and certainly uh, looking at that and the wide range, and uh, there will certainly be that need for post-secondary education in some form. Uh, and again, so Jennifer, do you think we're on the right track as far as meeting these needs? I think I think we're on the right track. I think we have a ways to go. Um, we are addressing this really, really quickly uh, and, and feel fortunate at BCIT to be so partnered with industry that we can do that. It's going to require post-secondary to really, as I said at the beginning of this discussion, really challenge what we consider to be the, the traditional model of post-secondary education and find a way to meet individuals where their needs are in upskilling and reskilling. And to, to your point earlier, to, um, to be working with industry and employers to find out what their needs are. All right. Uh, interesting numbers uh, looking ahead at uh, what the job openings are going to be like in this province. Jennifer, we'll leave it there, but thank you so much for your time today. It's my pleasure. Have a good afternoon. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.